When you hear the word wisdom, what images or like what pictures come into your mind? I don't know, maybe, maybe you picture like a, a pile of old like dusty books. Or I don't know if you picture someone that has like, like a light bulb that just kind of comes on top of their head. Or maybe you picture a really old guy with a really big gray beard who's like a sage it's like, oh, yeah, like, that's, that's a picture of wisdom. That's a picture of old, not necessarily wisdom, but, like, I don't know in your mind, like, what you picture, but I'll give you another one. Like, if I would ask you, can you give me a concise but meaningful definition of wisdom, how would you define it? And, and if, you, if you stop and begin to really think about it, you'll realize that it's, it's actually kind of hard. Like, it's not that easy to define wisdom. And we're going to look at God's word today and see what God has to say about wisdom. And so we're continuing our series in biblical theology in this series called Tapestry. Now, if you're somewhat new to renewal, whether in person or online, just so that we're all kind of on the same page Biblical theology is not the same thing as saying theology that is biblical. Like, all theology should be biblical. I mean, that obviously. I mean, the very word theology, the word in the Greek for God is theos. And of course, you know, ology means study of. And so biology or sociology or zoology just means to study of. And so Theology is theosology is the study of God. That's all that means, and so don't overthink it. It just means knowing God. That's what theology is at its root. It's not learning a whole bunch of facts. It's about knowing God. And biblical theology is is a you can call it a practice or, or a discipline. You can call it like a field of study. There's lots of ways to describe this. But biblical theology is what you do when you are tracing various themes that begin in Genesis and conclude in Revelation, and all of it is pointing to Jesus and fulfilled by him and for the display of his glory. It is all about Jesus, always has been, always will be. So the entire Bible is one story that is about the stunning glory of Jesus. And biblical theology allows us to find these threads that are woven throughout the fabric of the story of God that we find in the Bible. And so today we're looking at the biblical theology, the thread or the theme of the wisdom of God. If you were really tracking, then you heard us reading verses and talking about and singing about the wisdom of God. Now, I'm going to give you one primary truth that it is kind of a long sentence, but we're going to work through it together this morning. And this one definition is like three, think of it as successive steps. And so they are moving up. And so we're stepping up as we better understand what it means that our God is wise. And so the first part of the, the definition of what is the wisdom of God, here is the first part of the definition. 
It's God's purpose is centered on revealing his wisdom. So that's kind of like the basement. That's the foundation. This is the starting point. So number one here is that God's purpose, his very purpose of his goal and all that he does, God's purpose is centered on revealing his wisdom. And you see it. You see it from the very beginning. God's purpose has always been to display his infinite perfections. God is displaying his magnificent beauty. He is displaying his untouchable holiness. God is revealing his boundless mercy, his transcendent splendor, his radiant brilliance. At the end of all superlatives, what we get down to is that God's glory is multi Faceted. It is manifold, which means that it is multi-sided and it is stunning. And so God is a like glorious cosmic prism of multicolored wonder. And so trying to even use human language to even attempt to describe the glory of God, like it, it fails us. But we're doing our best, and I love words, and so I'm doing my best to try to communicate to you in my finiteness the infinite glory of God. At the very center of God revealing his glory, it's his infinite wisdom, his bottomless wisdom. We will know God If you're a believer and you go to heaven, you will be with God forever, and we will never get to the bottom. It is bottomless. It is so profound. We will always be learning more about God's infinite wisdom. We're never going to get to the end. We will never exhaust it. And so God, in his glory, part of how he reveals his glory is his infinite wisdom. And it is centered on, and I will share from the Bible, how from beginning to end, God is actually centering his purpose in revealing that he is the fountain of all wisdom. And you see it in the very beginning of page one of the Bible, Genesis page one, chapter one. You see in creation. So let's look at God's creation showing his wisdom. So God's wisdom in creation. So God is revealing his immeasurable wisdom and how he created the world. Now, in, in the Hebrew, the word for wisdom is kind of a hard word. You kind of have to like clear your throat and it's just like, hakam. Like, that's, that's the Hebrew as best as I can say it from my seminary days is this hakam. What this word refers to, it, the English word is wisdom. But much like we looked at shalom a few weeks ago, And I described as best I could how shalom is this incredible word that has such a range of meaning. And there's not any one English word that can capture it. But you have to begin to understand how the original language Hebrew is very pictographic. There's a lot of pictures and images in it, how it conveys meaning. And so same thing here with the word for wisdom. I can't can't just give you one word. It doesn't work that way. The English Word wisdom just doesn't capture what the Bible is describing when it says 
wisdom. So I'm going to give you some words that help begin to give you a 3D image of what wisdom means in the Bible. So the word skillful, so having skill is used often. The word artful or knowledge, knowledgeable or understanding or judging correctly or discerning. So these are all different words that together begin to help us understand what wisdom means in the Bible. So skill and discerning and knowledge and even creative and artistic. And again, judging what's right every time and not getting it wrong. And so we see God's wisdom in creation. You see it in chapter 1 of Genesis. And so in God's mind, all the bodies of knowledge exist. And so if you think about it, every, every single practice has a body of knowledge. So if you're in the world of law, there's all this jargon. There's all of this a whole different language of law ease. And, and it's like the politicians use it too. And so that's like a whole body of knowledge of law. And if you're into medicine, that has their own language. It's all Latin. Like it's literally, they have their own jargon, their own body of knowledge. That's medicine. And you have history, even sports. You might not realize, but there's a whole language on sports. You talk about a ribby, and women are like, what? We talk about calling an audible, and wives are like, what are you talking about? Like, there's a whole body of, of, of language and of knowledge with sports and with everything, education and music and history and philosophy and theology. There's all of these bodies of knowledge, and, and, and we... Not all of us, but I mean, I, I like it. I love learning new bodies of, of knowledge and just acquiring more. And yet, here's the thing. Of, of all the wisdom, of all the bodies, all the fields of study, all the knowledge that has ever existed or ever will exist, all of it is in the mind of God. God can't learn anything new. You can't surprise him. You can't be insightful to God. You, you can't teach him anything because he has all knowledge, all wisdom of every single field of study. He has all of it. And he is displaying that glory in creation. Just stop for one moment and just ponder this with me. Just think. God created astronomy. Like he thought of it. He made the planets and the stars and light years and all that whole body of knowledge. God thought of astronomy. Physics, God thought of it. Geology, God made the rocks. He thought of it. The list goes on. Chemistry, botany, zoology, anatomy, physiology, all of it. Every, every math. God thought of it. It is his. It came from his mind that has infinite wisdom. And he created the world in such a way where we could then discover it. We don't invent math. Like, we don't, we just discover it. God has made the world where it works perfectly, mathematically. And then we have this joy of discovering what God has made. And so God is showing his skill, his knowledge, 
his expertise in how he has created the world. So he is revealing his limitless wisdom in creation. So creation is not random. There is intention and there is purpose and there's an intelligent designer. And so if you are here and if you're a naturalist or an atheist or a agnostic or a secular humanist or any other definitions that we could talk about, then you would believe that there is no such thing as an intelligent designer and that this world is nothing more than a result of time plus chance. Man, I pray that the Spirit of God will open your eyes today and that you will see. That you will see that it's just not possible. There has to be a designer. There has to be purpose. And the world is declaring, the, just creation itself declares the glory of God. But it's not just cosmic and out there. When God makes Adam and Eve and he comes down and he talks to Adam and he's sharing his wisdom with Adam and he shows Adam the way of wisdom. He, he tells Adam, this is how the world works. This is reality, Adam. Don't live in the fantasy world. This is the reality of this world that I have created. This is your identity. He defines it for Adam, and he says, and this is your purpose, to enjoy me, to serve me, to love me. And so everything is about God and his glory, and Adam is put there in the garden to keep it under the authority of God, enjoying and worshiping God. And so you see everything about creation even God coming close to humanity, it's all about displaying his wisdom. Now, we see in Genesis 3 where foolishness comes into the world because wisdom leads to life. Wisdom leads to purpose, and it leads to joy and peace and freedom because wisdom leads us to God because he is the source of wisdom. So if you follow a river all the way up to the headwaters, all the way up to the source, you see where it begins. If you follow wisdom all the way, its source is God. And so what you're seeing here is God is telling Adam, follow me and my way of wisdom because foolishness leads to death and emptiness and depression and anxiety and slavery and addiction and numbing our minds because foolishness leads us away from the presence of God. So what happens in Genesis 3 is now we see foolishness entered into God's good creation. In Genesis 3, the serpent is described as being crafty. Now in the original, the word crafty actually could be translated to be wise or shrewd. But it's not the same word that we talked about earlier. It's a different word, but it's very similar. So it's like being wise, but in the worst possible way. So I've talked to Bond about this. We have four kids, and two of them are six, and then two teenagers. And so we've learned that the ability to lie shows great intelligence. 
Like, it, it really does. Like, the ability to make something up. And because since it's not true, you have to have your alibis and your explanations. You have to make everything up so that it sounds believable. Now, the thing is, my kids' parents aren't dumb. And so we can, in most cases, see through their attempted web of deceit. Like, we're like, no, that's, that's not consistent, son or daughter. And here's why. And they're just like, oh, oh yeah, I forgot. Like, you didn't forget. You lied. You're lying. Let's just come clean. And let's, let's not deceive each other any longer. But it does require intelligence, to be able to make stuff up and to be believable. And so Satan here is described as smart. He's not dumb. He's crafty. He's shrewd. He's good at lying. And so what happens is Adam and Eve believe the wisdom of the serpent and reject the wisdom of God. This is what you're seeing. In creation. And we know the story. We've been reading it every week. Is Adam and Eve rebel against God? They were foolish because at its essence, foolishness is disregarding God. Wisdom is following God, obeying God, walking in his ways. And foolishness is disregarding him. And so we see now the world is corrupted. There is anxiety, and there's death, and there's disease, and there's brokenness. There is all kinds of foolishness and folly and evil in this world. So I want you, for a moment, to just picture Adam reaching for that fruit. Reaching for a wisdom that was not God's. It was the serpent's wisdom that was foolishness at its root. And I want you to picture yourself reaching for whatever it is that you reach for. Because we all do it. Every one of us in this room, beginning with me, every one of us, because of our sinful nature, will reach for something that is foolish, and we know it, and like Adam, we continue to reach for it because we believe that somehow that will bring happiness or purpose or joy or freedom or healing. What are you reaching for? What is it? You need to ponder that this week. And I pray you have enough self-awareness where God can reveal to you what it is that you are reaching for instead of reaching for the wisdom of God and the presence of God. What we need is a Savior. We need someone outside of ourselves to come in to change our hearts and to show us true wisdom and to lead us, not even with our own will, because our will is corrupted, but to give us a new one, a new heart with new wills, with new desires that actually want Jesus and his glory and his wisdom. That's what we need. We need 
a redeemer who is full of wisdom, who will make us wise, that we can be a people that are filled with God's wisdom, who then reflect the wisdom of God with how we live. And we praise God that he had a plan, even when we failed. And we see that plan working out throughout the Old Testament. So you see it with Moses. And so if you turn briefly to Deuteronomy chapter 4, you see the people of God were rescued from slavery. They encountered God's presence at Mount Sinai. They construct the tabernacle. We saw that last week. So they have God's presence. And now they're about, led by Joshua, to go in to take over the promised land. And in Deuteronomy 4, here's what you see at the end of the 40 years of wandering when the promised land is now in their grasp. Deuteronomy 4, verses 5 through 8. See, I have taught you statutes and rules as the Lord my God commanded me, that you should do them in the land that you are entering to take possession of it. Keep them and do them, for that will be your wisdom and your understanding in the sight of the peoples who when they hear all these statutes, they will say, surely a great nation is a wise and understanding people. For what great nation is there that has a God so near to it as the Lord our God is to us whenever we call upon him? And what great nation is there that has statutes and rules so righteous as they all this law that I have set before you today. What separates the people of God from the world? Wisdom. Look at those people who have God. They are so wise. They walk in wisdom in ways that no other people on the face of the earth do. The wisdom of God is what separates us from the world. And then if you continue in the story, you get to these five books that are right in the middle of the Old Testament. And it is Job, Psalms, Ecclesiastes, Proverbs, and Song of Songs, or Song of Solomon. So these five books are oftentimes called wisdom literature. So these five books are really significant. They don't necessarily advance the Bible storyline the way the first books from Genesis all the way through Esther do. But these five books develop the theme of God's wisdom throughout the Bible. And it shows us how God's purpose is centered on revealing his wisdom. And so of these, the first of the wisdom literature is Proverbs, written by King Solomon, the son of King David. And the theme of Proverbs is that we are created and we are called to follow the way of wisdom. So the same wisdom that God gave Adam is now really just expanded. It's not new, but it's expanded in the book of Proverbs. So Proverbs 1, let's read part of the first chapter, verses 1 through 7. The Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel, to know wisdom and instruction, to understand words of insight, to receive instruction in wise dealing, in righteousness, justice, and equity, 
to give prudence to the simple, knowledge and discretion to the youth. Let the wise hear and increase in learning. And the one who understands, obtain guidance. To understand a proverb and a saying, the words of the wise and their riddles, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. Jump to chapter 2, verse 6. We read one verse there, 2, 6. For the Lord gives wisdom. From his mouth come knowledge and understanding. So what you see here is God is painting a picture of what wisdom is. Again, the Bible doesn't give us one like textbook definition of wisdom, but it does paint the picture for us. And it says it right here, instruction, insight, wise dealing, righteousness, justice, equity, prudence, knowledge, discretion, learning, guidance. Like these are all descriptions and it's helping us in our minds to get an understanding of what it means to be wise. And then, and then you read in chapter 2 and it says that it's the Lord who gives wisdom. He is the source. He is the fountain of all wisdom. And then you read in 1 Kings chapter 4 where it describes Solomon. We're describing the story of Solomon. And in verses 29 and 30, it says, And God gave Solomon wisdom and understanding beyond measure and breadth of mind like the sand on the seashore, so that Solomon's wisdom surpassed the wisdom of all the people of the east and all the wisdom of Egypt. And so it says that God has blessed Solomon with so much wisdom that it surpassed all the bodies of knowledge of every other people that was in the known world at that point in time. And then 1 Kings 10 describes the queen of Sheba who came to sit and to just hear the wisdom of Solomon. And so God was displaying his glory by having a people that are wise. But if you keep reading the story, you get to the next book that Solomon also wrote. It's the book of Ecclesiastes. And if you turn there, chapter 1, I'll let you know as you're turning there that the guy who wrote Proverbs and the guy who wrote Ecclesiastes, Solomon, was, ended up being very foolish. He did not walk in the way of wisdom. He had a thousand wives. That already is foolish, right? <laughs> Bro, you just need one. Like, that's all you can handle. Like, you, you, don't, you don't need more than one that goes against God's purpose. So already you were way off. But he did way more than that. He's the one that instituted pagan worship in Israel. Like, he ended very badly. He started well, great wisdom, but he did not walk in the way of wisdom. It's one thing to know, another thing to actually do what you know. So Ecclesiastes chapter 1, you get just a flavor of what was going on with Solomon. Let me read that to you. Ecclesiastes chapter 1, we'll read verses just 1 and 2. The words of the preacher, the son of David, king in Jerusalem. Again, that's Solomon. He says, vanity of vanities, says the preacher. Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. And you go to verse 8, so in chapter 1. 
He says, all things are full of weariness. A man cannot utter it. The eye is not satisfied with seeing, nor the ear filled with hearing. So Solomon had a very full life. He had it all. He had wealth, clothes, the girls, the chariot. He had all of it. The house, he had a palace. Like, he was, he was lacking nothing. His 401k was in the quadrillions. Like, they, you can't even begin to understand his wealth, his fame, the whole world. I mean, if he was on Instagram today, he would have, I don't know, millions and millions of followers. The whole world was coming to hear him. He had everything that maybe you are hungry for. He had it all. But he was empty. And I think a lot of times we can live full lives. We have full schedules, full refrigerators, full bellies, full inboxes, full. Everything in our lives, it can be so full. And with our full schedules and full, 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 how many of us are walking empty? It's easy to do. It happened to the wisest man that ever walked on this earth. And he wrote, he even wrote earlier in his life, Song of Songs, which is this beautiful, it's almost surprising. Like you read Song of Songs and you're like, like you're reading it and you're like, is this the Bible? Yeah, yeah, it is. It is. It's pretty erotic. It's pretty sexual. It shows the love between a man and a woman and how it's good and glorifies God. And yet this man who had it all says it's all empty. Solomon failed to lead his people, the people of God, in the way of wisdom. God's people were not reflecting wisdom. They were reflecting foolishness, just like their leader Solomon did. But if you look at the very end, after the whole book of Solomon, just kind of like musing and just meditating on how you cannot find fulfillment or joy or meaning in this world. Here's how he ends in, in Song of, no, I'm sorry, let's read Ecclesiastes 12. We don't have time for that book. We're just doing overview today. We'll do Ecclesiastes 12, verse 1. Remember also your creator in the days of your youth, before the evil days come and the years draw near of which you will say, I have no pleasure in them. He's saying, don't waste your life. Don't waste it. It's so easy for us to live for the things of this world. And you're wasting it. Solomon says, I wasted it. Don't waste yours. And then you get to the very end, last two verses in the book, verses 13 and 14. The end of the matter, all has been heard. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. This is the purpose of man. He says, worship God. Verse 14 ends the book. For God will bring every deed into judgment and every secret thing, whether good or evil. Solomon learned the hard way. And in his life, he says, worship 
God. Only God can satisfy. Everything else is just chasing after the wind. And so Ecclesiastes is kind of a dark book, but what it does is it shows us, here's the theme of the book, is life without God. You want to know what life is like without God? Read Ecclesiastes. You know what you'll find? It's dark, it's depressing, it's frustrating, it's empty, and it's revealing what life is like. He's giving us wisdom on don't do what I did. Obey God, worship God. At the end of the matter, that is your purpose. And then you have the book of Psalms, also wisdom literature. Now, Psalms is not all wisdom literature. It's a lot of, it's basically a hymn book. And so the people of God sang the Psalms, but there are many Psalms that actually are wisdom literature. And so, for example, the very first one, if you look at Psalm 1, it starts off, and it's awesome. It sounds just like Proverbs, Psalms 1, 1 and 2. Blessed is a man who walks in the counsel, not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. See, he says there's two ways to live. You can be wise, you can be foolish. And that's the same thing in Proverbs. Proverbs has this personification of foolishness as this woman calling, this lady foolishness. And then wisdom is also personified, and it's this woman who is calling, this lady wisdom. So the word Sophia is the Greek word for wisdom. So it's a popular name, but that's what the word is, it's a feminine name. And so it's described as being a, a woman. But it's just personifying God's wisdom, saying there's two ways to live. Foolishness or wisdom, same thing in Psalms. It's often repeated on you can either enjoy God or enjoy this world, and there's two very different paths. And then you have Job, which is the last in the wisdom literature. We won't describe Job. We only have a few minutes. But Job is an amazing book that's part of the wisdom literature. It's remarkable how it shows that God is sovereign over all things and all people and all circumstances, even pain and disappointment, even when it's hard, even when you don't understand what's going on, God is still there and loves you and has a purpose in your pain. And our call is not to try to figure out what God is doing. Our call is to trust him and to rest in him, to know that he's got this to trust the wisdom of God. This is what you see in Job. And so you see this throughout all of this whole purpose is described in this wisdom literature in the Bible, how God's purpose is centered on revealing his wisdom. So the Bible tells us, we just read in Proverbs, that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Fear is another word for worship. It's a a worshiping, a treasuring, it's a respecting, but it's a worshiping God. And so if, if worship is the beginning of wisdom, what we see is worship is the beginning and the goal of wisdom. Hear me, this is important. Worship is the beginning of, but also the goal, the end of wisdom. We are given wisdom so that we can worship. God's plan is not to make smarter sinners. God's plan is not 
for us to have a whole bunch of information and facts, knowledge. And there are people who love learning about God. They love studying the Bible. And yet you talk to them, you look at their lives, and you realize, man, they don't actually love Jesus. They don't worship him. It's just an academic pursuit. It's just wanting more of the body of knowledge. But the whole purpose of wisdom is so that we would worship God, know him, enjoy him, and walk in his presence and be transformed by him. So think of it this way. Living wisely is about participating in God's purpose. That's what it boils down to. Living wisely now, we looked at this last several weeks, different themes in the Bible, so we can kind of connect them here a little bit. Living in wisdom means being a member of the gathered people of God. Living in wisdom means that you are part of the kingdom of God and you are living for the glory of the king. Living in wisdom means that you are experiencing God's shalom, his peace. Being in wisdom means that you are living in the presence of God. We looked at that last week. So all of these different themes all converge and come together on a God who is wise and makes us wise people. So your purpose is not just go to work or raise your kids or save money or go on vacations. Like Your purpose is to enjoy God, to live in his presence and walk in wisdom. Now you're probably thinking, oh no, that was just point one. Like, well, are, are we going to even get lunch today? I, I have to set the foundation. Like, I, I need you to see. No, I can tell you about it, but I want to show you from it. It's so easy to just tell you what I know from the Bible, but, man, I want you to open the Bible and see for yourself what I'm not crazy. Like, what I'm talking about is from the Word. I want you to see it. Faith comes by hearing the Word God. These next two points are much briefer, but they flow from this much bigger foundation of God's purpose is centered on revealing his wisdom. Number two, above all else through Jesus. So God's purpose is centered on revealing his wisdom, but above all else through Jesus. He is showing his wisdom first and foremost through Jesus. We see it in Isaiah 11 verse Two, about the promised coming Messiah. It says, and the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. God is revealing his wisdom most completely and most clearly in the person and work of Jesus Christ. That is where you see true wisdom. So if you're wondering, what does wisdom look like? Here's, here's a really easy thing for you to do. Look to Jesus. You look to Jesus, you see wisdom. He is the embodiment of the wisdom of God. And this week in our home groups, we're going to be meditating on 1 Corinthians chapter 1. I want to read to you a small portion of that text. This is verse 30. It says, because of him, this is Jesus, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us the wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption. So the wisdom of Jesus is greater than the wisdom of Solomon. 
Jesus is the wisdom of God. Where people of all nations are coming to his feet just to hear his wisdom. He is greater than Solomon. Where Solomon failed, the wisdom of God, Jesus, has succeeded, as we just read, in bringing us redemption, bringing us forgiveness, and creating a new people who walk in wisdom through the power of the Spirit. John 16, 33, Jesus sounds just like Solomon. He says, in the world you will have tribulation. You're like, well, yeah, we, we know. We're alive in it, Jesus. Like, we live in this. Just like Solomon, he says, vanity of vanities. Jesus, now the ultimate wise man, says, in this world you're going to have tribulation. But see, here's the difference. Jesus can say something that Solomon could never say. Jesus completes the sentence by saying, but take heart, I have overcome the world. That is not something Solomon could say. Only Jesus can say yes. Like Job, I know it's hard. Solomon, I know you've blown it. I know it's been hard. I know you're in pain. I know it's disappointing. He's not lying or making it up. He's not glossing over it. He's being real about how sometimes life is not pleasant. But he says, take heart. I've overcome the world. The gospel is the wisdom of God. It was God's wisdom from eternity past to promise and then to bring Jesus who represents sinful humanity who would die on the cross and resurrect on the third day defeat the serpent with his wisdom and then bring us back into the presence of God through his redemption as we just read in 1 Corinthians 1 verse 30 it is Jesus the wisdom of God that leads us back to God. It is all about Jesus. It has always been everything, wisdom, literature, all points and fulfilled in Jesus. And so God is revealing his wisdom, but most clearly and completely in the person and in the work on the cross of Jesus of Nazareth. Lastly, number three, as we close, God's purpose is centered on revealing his wisdom above all else through Jesus. Number three, to create a wise people that display God's glory. This is where it's going. He's revealing his wisdom through Jesus so that he can create a wise people that in their wisdom are displaying the glory of God. So God's purpose has always been to display his glory. And foolishness distorts his glory and wisdom displays his glory. And so wisdom, we are a people of wisdom, the wisdom of God, embodied, personified in Jesus himself. So let me give you kind of a, a simple definition for wisdom. It's skill in living a life that glorifies God. That's kind of a broken down, simple definition is wisdom is having the skill and knowing how in all of life's complexities and 
confusing circumstances is knowing how to walk in wisdom, is knowing how to glorify God. Wisdom at its essence is living an authentic life. That's what it is. Wisdom is about living authentically before each other and before God. Not something fake. Man, if I'm honest with you, I know this church is young. We launched a little over a year ago. We got shut down in March, and we're kind of restarted here this summer. And so if you're kind of new and kind of checking out Renewal Church, I want you to know up front that if, if you're looking for a place to just come and show up and do the religious thing and be seen and go to a class or a program, then you're at the wrong place. Like, you're not going to like it here. Like, I'm not trying to be rude. I'm just giving you fair warning. Like, I just want you to know up front what you're getting into. We're not going to be fake. And we're not going to take surface answers. Like, it's not going to cut it here. We want to know you. The real you. We want you to know us. And we want to live an authentic life where you come on a Sunday and there's people that know you, know what you're going through, that are praying for you, walking with you, and that won't dump you when it gets hard. We need each other. And so we want to be a church where we're real, where there's transparency and vulnerability and where we're serving each other in the kingdom. And so living in wisdom is is living in authenticity. That's what it boils down to. And so if you want some of that, if you want to be known and know others and experience transformation and live in God's presence and see what God can do through you, then come on and join us. We want you to join us. Jump in. The water's fine. I know it looks scary because it's different, but man, we just, we just want authentic let me give you three thoughts as we close on just something to ponder, some points to ponder this week, just brief, on walking in wisdom. One is it's the Word of God. Like it has to be focused on the Word of God. You will have no hope of walking in the way of wisdom unless you are walking where you are reading the Word of God, where you are meditating, thinking about it, where you are actively feeding your soul from the Word. That's the source of wisdom, so you have to be in the Word. Second is to walk Word of God and then walk with God. You have to walk with Him. This is prayer. We talked about this last week on walking in His presence, this, this idea of practicing the presence, of walking with God every day, thinking about Him, talking to Him, walking in the Spirit, not relying on your own wisdom, but walking with God. And so if you're having a problem or you're trying to overcome something and then you, you go to your journal and you make your, your seven steps to freedom and your own strength, guess how far you're going to get? You're going to fall on your face probably in day one, maybe day two. You can't do it in your strength. You cannot. It has to be the wisdom of God, the power of God. For the glory of God, you cannot do it in your own strength. You have to walk with him. It's through Jesus. It's his power. So it's the word of God, walking with God, and lastly, with the people of God. 
If you, if you want to experience real freedom and the life God wants for you, you have to do it in community. You have to do it with the people of God. Seek counsel from others. Do not try to do this thing alone. You won't get far because you're doing it against God's wisdom, against God's design. So putting it all together, God's purpose is centered on revealing his wisdom above all else through Jesus to create a wise people who display his glory. Let me read to you out of Revelation as we wrap up. Revelation 7, this is the end of all things. This is where wisdom is taking us in the future after the resurrection. After this, I looked and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels were standing round the throne and round the elders and the four living creatures, and they fell on their faces before the throne and worshiped God, saying, Amen, blessing and honor and wisdom. And thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen.